Welcome to Session 4 in our study of the book of James. Today we'll be discussing chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. Now, as you remember back in verses 17 and 18, we were reminded of God's character, that he is good, and from his goodness comes an outpouring of blessings and good gifts to us. God will never change in his goodness. Nothing we do will provoke or cause him to change his character. His ultimate goodness was bestowed upon humanity in the form of salvation. He gave his son Jesus, and Jesus willingly came to earth to sacrifice and pay the penalty that our sins deserve. And now, in verses 19 through 27 of chapter 1, God is telling us through James how those of us who have accepted God's free gift of salvation are to live in light of God's character. So let's read James 1, 19 through 27. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless, and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So in verse 17, God told us who he is, that he is good, so good that he gave us salvation. And in verse 18, we're told who we are as Christians, first fruits of his creation, meaning we share in his divine nature, according to 2 Peter 1.4. And now we see how we're supposed to live in light of this truth. We are to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. I've heard it said God designed humans with two ears but only one mouth, maybe to encourage us to listen twice as much as we speak. Proverbs 17.27 says, The one who has knowledge restrains his words, and the one who keeps a cool head is a person of understanding. Matthew 12:34 says, For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. The implication being that a person who thinks their opinions are always more important often think they themselves are more important. It seems people who are quick to speak their minds are also the ones who are naturally slow to listen. People who display these characteristics are also often the ones who quickly become angry if they feel they aren't being heard or their opinions aren't being supported. Columnist Andre Sue Peterson addresses this issue when she says, Yesterday I was sitting around the table with a few people, and I found I couldn't keep up with the pace of conversation. Their minds were lithe and their cultural references numerous, and they were simply more clever than I at social banter. I was anxious because I felt inferior and left out. This morning when I awoke, the incident came back to mind, but I noticed the power of anxiety was broken. I suddenly saw cleverness as something not very important, and even as something that can be empty. I felt certain that the next time I'm in a room of clever people, 
I will be content to simply listen and appreciate their wit and knowledge without being threatened by it. I'll be able to be quick to hear and slow to speak. The Lord has given us each a different mind, and it's just the mind He wanted to give us for His glory. Those who are quick-witted He can use in one way, those who are more methodical in another way, and those with sluggish minds in yet another. Let us aim for knowledge of Him and for love rather than cleverness, and we shall do fine. Our culture often views a person who is quick to speak their minds as powerful and knowledgeable, and someone slow to speak as weak or uninformed. But how did Jesus respond to Herod in Luke 23, when he was questioning Jesus over and over again, and the chief priests and scribes were hurling accusations against him? Verse 9 says, Jesus said nothing. So who had the real power and supreme intelligence in this situation? I mean, even though Herod and the priests were controlling the conversation, it was Jesus who held all the power and control. As Christians, we must be measured and thoughtful in what we say because we all know how quickly conversations can turn into anger. And we must be slow to anger, verse 19 tells us. Now, it's important to note here that this is a command for all of us. There are no exceptions. Now, please understand, I get it. People have hurt you unjustly. You haven't been treated fairly. You're trying to do the right thing, and you still get slammed. But God still commands us to be slow in becoming angry, even knowing how badly we've been wronged. Now, we can do this because, as Christians, we have the Spirit of God within us. And as Psalm 145.8 tells us, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and great in faithful love. So if God says that we can do it, then he will give us the capacity to do it. So we can't blame lashing out in uncontrolled anger on unfair treatment. And we can't blame lashing out on having a bad temper. Because hastiness of temper can hinder God's work in our lives. Because if I lash out in anger when confronted without listening and thinking, then I'm not giving the Holy Spirit room to speak wisdom to my heart and mind. And as verse 20 tells us, human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness, which should be our goal as Christians, to be examples to the world of the rightness of God and His ways. Slow to be angry, quick to listen. These are traits that set us apart from our culture. Imagine the positive impact on the world if we listened more than we spoke. And when we did speak, it was with winsome words of gentleness and peace. How many temperamental conversations could be quelled with that kind of attitude? Now, it's important to note here that James is not saying that all anger is bad. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. So we're talking about unchecked anger or anger aimed at the wrong target. That can lead to sin. Only with a close connection to Jesus can one truly be able to slow down their anger in a world that is inundated with spiteful speech and hate-filled language. People's angry zeal to prove themselves right is far from what Colossians 4-6 tells us, let your speech always be gracious. So I believe verse 20 differentiates between human anger and godly anger. God's anger is for the purpose of punishing wickedness and righting wrongs. Human anger often turns into revenge and spite. Now, verse 21 says, 
Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So if a quick temper and uncontrolled anger brings about unrighteousness, then we need to rid ourselves of the things that lead to that kind of anger, such as moral filth and evil. We must get rid of it. The implication is that of throwing it away like a filthy garment. When my husband was a boy, he visited a cow farm owned by a relative, and he spent the day there working on the farm. Now, by the end of the day, his clothes looked and smelled like you would imagine, stained and smelling like manure, and as hard as he tried, he could not get them clean. He eventually had to throw them away. That's what we do with clothes that are stained. We throw them away. No one wants to wear filthy, stained clothing. They are unattractive and unappealing. Well, so is willful, unrepentant sin in the life of a Christian. We must rid our lives of sin and evil. Now, God is aware that this is no easy task. James says in verse 21 that evil is prevalent. We're surrounded by it. There are even those around us who call it good. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. And at the end of verse 21, James tells us how to rid evil from our lives, by receiving the implanted word of God. God's word should be rooted in the fertile soil of our souls. God's word has power. It can save souls and prevent sin. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And verse 22 goes on to say, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So it's not just about receiving the word. We must do what it says. We can know a lot about the Bible, but if we never do what it says, it will never change us. One scholar says, many Christians mark their Bibles, but their Bibles do not mark them. If we think going to church and listening to scripture being read is all we need to live a fulfilling Christian life, then we're deceiving ourselves. Just listening to God's word without following it is not true obedience. And James gives us a beautiful picture of what that looks like in verses 23 and 24. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. You see, God's word is like a mirror. In it, we see ourselves as we really are. Just as we go to a mirror to see how we look, and if any changes need to be made, we can go to God's word to see how we're supposed to look as followers of Christ. Now, it's ludicrous to imagine that we would ever forget what we look like. But that's only because of the amount of time that we spend in front of a mirror. Think about how often we look at ourselves every day. Well, it can be easy to forget who we are in Christ if we don't look into the mirror of God's word. And that may be why we feel ineffectual, unmotivated, and weak in our walk of faith. Ezekiel 33:31 says, My people come to you in crowds, sit in front of you, hear your words, but they don't obey them. Although they express love with their mouths, their hearts pursue unjust gain. One scholar equates this passage with the difference between a photograph and an x-ray. These are people who don't allow the word to penetrate their hearts and change them. Are we letting it change us? Because verse 25 tells us, 
but the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer who works this person will be blessed in what he does so we are blessed when we gaze into the scriptures carefully with serious intent not just quick glances it requires time and attention and sincere devotion now god describes god's word uh, god's word here as the perfect law of freedom now that sounds like an oxymoron doesn't it because laws actually inhibit freedom but not in god's economy think for a moment about the guardrails that are on a bridge now as we drive across a bridge do we see the guardrails as obstructions to our freedom to drive wherever we want of course not. We see them as protections from driving off the edge into a fiery death. Well, God's law is our protection. It's the guardrail of life, protecting us from veering off course into sinful destruction. Staying within the confines of God's law frees us to be who we are meant to be. Andre Sue Peterson says, Blessed are those who live within the designs the Creator has set. To disdain his boundaries is to be as smart as a fish jumping out of the sea to its freedom. And if we persevere in following God's word, then we will be blessed. Literally, it means this person shall be blessed in his doing. One scholar says an intent, sustained look at scripture with a ready response is the key to spiritual strength and continued maturity. Verse 26 goes on to say, If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless, and he deceives himself. So if anyone thinks he is religious, religious being the outward practice or service to God, true religion is not focused on rituals and ceremonies, but practicing God's word by sharing with others through speech, service, and separation from the sinful ways of the world. According to verse 26, those living out what God's word says out of devotion to him will also have controlled speech. Now, why is speech so important? Well, remember what Matthew 12:34 told us. Our words come from what is in our hearts. Our words reveal what is in our hearts. And if we can't control our tongues, then we're deceiving ourselves. Now, this is the third time in chapter one that James mentions deception. In verse 16, he says we mustn't be deceived into thinking that God is not good. In verse 22, we mustn't be deceived into thinking that just because God is good, that we're required to do nothing. And here in verse 26, once we do get involved, we mustn't be deceived into thinking that our words don't matter. So James tells us what true religion is not. It does not involve quick tempers and uncontrolled speech. And in verse 27, James tells us what true religion is. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So we must not only focus on ourselves in the mirror of God's word, we must also focus on others too. As we allow scripture to penetrate our hearts and minds and our characters and attitudes become more like Christ, then we're going to be motivated to serve others. Pure undefiled religion is one in which a person's character and conduct are disciplined in accordance with God's word. God values obedience over ritual. 
1 Samuel 15:22 says, Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. So verse 27 tells us we should look after those in distress, meaning our conduct should exemplify Christ-likeness and keep ourselves unstained from the world, meaning our character should model Christ-likeness. Now, what does James mean by the world in this context? Well, it's society without God. John 14.30 said Satan is the prince of the world. Luke 16.8 tells us lost people are children of the world. And John 17.14-18 tells us as Christians, we should be in the world, but not of it. We should influence our culture and not let culture influence us. So as we close today, our challenge question to think about this week is, in what ways are we influencing our culture? Are we exhibiting Christ-likeness to those around us? Because according to James, that is the mark of true religion, and that is the evidence of a heart that has been transformed. Thank you so much for joining me today. God bless you.